This show is brought to you by NetFoundry. NetFoundry is the originator and leading contributor to the OpenZity open source networking project. To learn more, visit netfoundry.io. Hi, joining me today is Philip Griffiths. He's the VP and GM at NetFoundry, and we're going to talk all about zero trust here in a second. But Philip, first, welcome to the show. Glad to have you here. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, the most important thing in open source, as we all know, is and really when you're working at a company in general, is to be successful, you must build the perfect mascot. So you were telling me in our pre-show that you've done it, that you're you're ready to either announce a new mascot or an update to a mascot. So, so let's get to the big news right away. What mascot have you created and how did you go about coming up with this mascot? Preamble, not sure it's the best in the world, but I, I think it's a pretty good one. Um, so in, in fact, it goes back to to when we created our, our open source uh, project. We we knew we wanted to do zero trust before zero trust was a cool buzzword, and we were thinking, what, what do we call it? And we were just playing around with the the letters ZT, and then someone went, do you know ZT is a really delicious Italian pasta that. <laughs> like long and thin but it's got a hole in it so it sucks up the sources and everyone was like great we'll we'll create it so we can say zt is both delicious italian pasta but it's also modern programmable zero trust networking naturally when you call your product the name of a piece of pasta you then go well the mascot has to be a little piece of pasta but yes. then you've got to give him some personality and some sass so we fortunately have a a really great um graphics designer within our company dave finger and he went off and he created this little little Ziggy uh, guy. And then over time, you know, making jokes, we would just say, oh, you know, what? we, you know, we talk about Bruce Lee in this in this uh, in this blog. Therefore, we need a Bruce Lee Ziggy. And then in this blog, we're talking about demystifying you know, zero trust with magic and Harry Potter analogies. Therefore, we need a Harry Potter piece of pasta. So we've now just got something like 70 different outfits for Ziggy for all these different occasions. All right. I love it. So we'll put a link here in the show notes. I'm sure you'll have uh, various uh, pictures of it. So, so that everyone can, uh, you know, weigh in on it. So it's, so the name is, it's open to say the name again, one more time. Open ZT for the project. Uh-huh. The master is Ziggy. Ziggy. All right. Well, Ziggy, and I, you know, again, I, I think you're right. Like it's hard to be against pasta. Like pasta seems like a very neutral thing. Like most people who have pasta, you're like, it's really the hard problem is like eating too much. I don't think everyone's yeah. been like, I'm anti, maybe that is true. Are you anti-pasta, anti-pasta? I don't know. I can't imagine anyone being anti-pasta. All right. Well, with the big news out of the way and everyone, and we'll maybe even put uh, in the show art here, I'll see if I can find a picture of Ziggy and everyone can look down and, and get a look at that. So, um, but in all seriousness, you know, you're here at NetFoundry and, and maybe we start there. Why don't you give us a quick overview is what exactly is NetFoundry? And then how did you get there? You know, I always want to hear about the story. You know, you, you had a history before NetFoundry. How did you find your way to this this company? I, I, I was born and I, <laughs> I, I joined NetFoundry. It immediately came right out. You into, <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I, I joined NetFoundry almost like bang on four years ago. Um, and it was, you know, very close to coming out of stealth mode. And the question was, what what is our product market fit? How how do we take it to market? How do we talk about zero trust before zero trust was cool? And prior to that, I was working with um, uh, IT systems integrators, 
and in fact, I was, I was building a partnership with NetFoundry because I thought it was it was a very interesting technology for what I was doing at the time, which was IoT. Um, and out of the blue, I, I got approached for a job, and I thought, I know nothing about networking security, so why not just completely jump off a cliff and learn something new? Because this sounds cool, and I, I think it, it could be the future. Nice. Well, nice. And so, you know, right now you're in, uh, you have the the great title here of like business development and alliances. And I think that's like for our audience, you know, it can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. So why, why don't you tell us like when you think about business development or de- alliances, or if there's a distinction, like w- what exactly does that mean to you? And what do you actually do day to day? Like what are you actually doing when you're creating an alliance at NetFoundry? So for me, business development is a very cross-functional role. And it lends itself to to kind of solving strategic problems within a company. But if I boil that down as to what my CEO would say, this is what you should be doing, Philip. It is building ecosystems and finding one plus one equals three kind of scenarios where you're able to to really merge together a technical world with a business world to understand and convey on both of those levels in order to to bring together these sorts of ecosystems we are very cognizant that what we do well we're of the opinion that what we do is incredibly awesome different to how people do it but at the end of the day we we are glue as to say and very few people buy glue uh well I mean, some people buy glue but most people they don't buy glue for the purpose of glue. They buy glue so they can fix their piece of china or something that's broken. And what we do lends itself really nicely to helping others to facilitate what they're doing. So that kind of facilitating of bringing together different technologies, different ideas is is where me and my team really focus on. Now, going back to the point of um, very cross-functional role, being in a startup, you wear many hats. I currently am also doing uh, interim head of marketing. So really crafting the message, honing the message, talking to people about the message and iterating a hundred times over so that you can get it to pixel perfect. Because it's only when you get to pixel perfect that anyone can understand it and pick it up and see the value. Well, that's great. I mean, it sounds like you're wearing a bunch of hats. I always think, you know, ideally if you're in biz dev or marketing, you always want to have someone else in marketing. That way, if things aren't going well, you just blame them. You're like the marketing people and vice versa. So it's hard. So when you got all the reins, it's like, well, you know, you have to find someone else to, uh, to talk about. Well, that's good. You know, I think, you know, I feel like business development and alliances is one of these things that is both very important, often misunderstood. And when, um, when done right, like you said before, I think it can be a tremendous value to a company, but then oftentimes there are a lot of times where you just have a bunch of meetings and nothing happens. And (laughs) sometimes people are frustrated. So, so good. That sounds like an an exciting, uh, career choice for you. Now you mentioned a little bit earlier on, and let's start with zero trust. You even kind of said it right in the open a little bit is that, you know, there was a time when zero trust was new and everyone, uh, was sort of learning about it. Now, every conceivable security company are, mm-hmm. or a company that is related to security or even companies that have nothing to do with security is yep. enabling zero trust. So let's, you know, dive into that a little bit. Like, what do you mean specifically in the context of, you know, uh, OpenZD as well as uh, your company about zero trust? And like, what should people be thinking about when they keep hearing this phrase being beaten into their heads? How, do they, how should they evaluate someone if they say they're zero trust what questions should they be asking about? Is this thing that I'm about to do, is it really enabling zero trust? Oh, there's so many questions in there. So let's try and thread that out. Um, so let's start with why a little bit first. 
over the last two decades, we've been distributing our applications and users in a really, really, uh, con- uh, no, what's the opposite of converged? Distributed fashion. Mm-hmm. Got cloud, multi-cloud, hybrid cloud, IoT, user access, DevOps access. We've got, uh, yeah, I don't know, APIs. We've got all these things communicating between one another. And the reason we've been able to do that is because we've built the internet. And the internet's amazing. But fundamentally, anyone can just connect to it and send packets. And therefore, we've been doing, we've moved into a model where we've said that's, that's not good enough. We need zero trust. And the basic premise is don't trust, always verify. But as you said, everyone on their dog has now slapped on a label that says, hey, I'm zero trust. There are some great definitions um, from NIST around some core concepts of zero trust because zero trust is really a, a, a framework of principles. Uh, and that includes things like doing authentication authorization before doing connectivity. It's things like having a software defined perimeter um, and a few other things. How I like to differentiate it, uh, the blog mentioned earlier around the, the Ziggy Harry Potter, that actually looks at this exact topic. How do we break down different types of zero trust? And in that blog, we we set out three broad ways. A is non-magical zero trust. And this is where you take a proxy or you take a VPN or a firewall and you do authentication of users. And that's it. You still have public IPs. You still have linked listeners. You're still exposed to the public Internet to all of the myriad of different scan and exploit and network level attacks and potentially also in your local network, because then you're just giving, you know, like VPNs, it's like, hey, act, have access to to everything, the whole data center, a whole side of range. They still might be doing that. Some of them then go a little bit better and say, hey, we'll do micro segmentation from this point on, but it's all exposed. We then have the second level, which I think of as semi-magical. And this is where you basically implement a cloak of invisibility or a spell of concealment. And in this way, you don't have exposure to the public internet, which means a whole swath of attacks just can't happen in the first place. You can't do scan and exploit. You can't get onto the network initially. You then have fully magical zero trust. And this is where you do it on a application basis so that you're providing each application with its own private virtual network so that you have zero trust of all networks you do not trust the internet you do not trust the local area network and potentially you don't even have to trust the host os network and that's what we have the capability to do with OpenZT. we've enabled it so that you can put zero trust connectivity inside anything you can put it inside uh, the network with uh, effectively a virtual appliance, any cloud, and say, I have zero trust of the internet. You can put it inside, you know, all popular uh, operating systems. So I want to devices and servers, whether it's Android, iOS, Linux, Docker, et cetera, and say, I you know, don't trust the internet or the LAN. Or we have a suite of SDKs so you can compile directly into the application so that the app has its own private network and it doesn't trust uh, anything. It, it does security by default because you explicitly authenticate and authorize before any packets can flow it's kind of like the opposite of the internet we say hey yeah just you know lay you know uh, osi three to five will just 
let packets flow and then you'll do some authentication on, on the network at that point. And we're saying you explicitly have to authenticate the network, which is not trust in the underlayer tool before that happens. The real step change analogy that I like to think of is, you know, over 10 years ago, we'd open our, our laptops, our devices and say, hey, I want to use the internet and we were all HTTP. And someone went, you know, this isn't very secure. We should probably make that a bit better. So things like Let's Encrypt and HTTPS Everywhere came along and it became easy. And everyone went, this is a really good idea. Now we can do things like internet banking and, you know, things that require more security. And therefore, all the major browsers just implemented these tools themselves into their browsers. And then last year they retired HTTPS Everywhere because the job was done. They made security easy and free. And that is our same objective with OpenZT because we've open sourced it and we've made it incredibly easy to get all of these amazing functions so that people can just build zero trust of networks into their applications, into their solutions, so that you don't have to worry about, you know, attacks from the public internet. You don't have to scramble around to patch log for uh, J because, you know, it's exposed to the internet. You don't have to worry about complex firewall rules. Instead, we can enable things to connect, um, whether it's uh, multi-cloud, whether it's edge and IoT, whether it's client access, but have effectively zero trust of networks in general. I don't know. I think it's a, it's a really good, you know, approach to it. And I think, you know, as you were just talking there, I was thinking back to myself, um, like, I feels like a long time ago now, but like, if you go back to, uh, like, if you remember like Yahoo mail, like before, <laughs> before this, there was like a link, like your Yahoo mail was just HTTP. And then if you wanted to, you could click on a link, it could be like secure. And so, but you actually had to like proactively click on this link. So there was a time, believe it or not, where we were all just like everyone's email, as far as I could tell, was just like, we were all, me, me included. We were all just like, you know, browsing it unencrypted. So it seems crazy now though. It does. It seems absolutely uh, insanity. So what you, you kind of got there, and another part I, I kind of heard in there that really kind of makes sense to me is that, you know, at least from your perspective, it's really maybe the simplest way to think about zero trust is like, I'm going to put this, if you will, responsibility to figure out what I should be connecting to inside the application. And that's the fundamental thing, right? Is that I'm not going to just depend on the network or somebody else to do it, a firewall or a firewall rule. It's really you know, I'm going to take the, the time and effort, if you will, to make sure that this application really knows who it should be talking to and is, is ready to uh, to do that in a way that isn't overly complicated. Because I think that's the biggest thing. It's like, you know, most times people want to get on a network, they want to build their apps, they don't want to think about networking security. The developers famously don't want to talk to the networking people, you know, just make it work. And if their network doesn't work, they just want to complain about it. Um, but this is really, that's the approach. I think that's the mindset yeah. that a developer you know, and we talk about DevSecOps, another phrase that's sort of overused, but that's the, that's the mindset I think people need to get into. It's like, no, 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 you're building the app. It's your responsibility to figure out how, how to secure it. So what are your thoughts on that? I, I, I agree with one caveat, which I'll actually answer, but I'll, I'll set it up. That's the North Star. Everyone should be embedding OpenZT into their applications because it just makes so much sense. Like, we get it. Security is hard. Like it's really hard. It's not that devs want insecure applications. They want to have secure applications, but they're, you know, sorry, product managers, but their product managers going, where are the features? We're going to market. We'll deal with the security later. Or like, let's just do minimum and you know, we'll improve over time. And because it's hard, it gets avoided. And our objective is to say, you know, just it's easy. You know, build 
I mean, what was it like um, during the start of the pandemic? Zoom had said, hey, yeah, we're doing end-to-end -end encryption. And then it turned out they, they hadn't. And everyone was like, oh, and then they 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 probably threw like 30 developers and I'm like, go fix this now. And then a few months later that, you know, it, it had end-to-end yeah. -end encryption built in because it's hard. But our objective with OpenCT is to make it easy. Like literally just put one of our SDKs, six to 20 lines of code, and it's all done. You, you've got end-to-end -end encryption, you've got application micro-segmentation, you've got least privilege access, you've got a smart routing mesh, you've got all these wonderful features that make your application more secure, easier to use, no need to worry about people trying to hack your APIs and you know yada, yada, yada. But that is a North Star. Not every application is going to be rewritten. Uh, there are many applications that already exist. Not all organizations have the ability, you know, they're buying commercial off the shelf. Yep. And that's why we said, okay, well, we start with the SDKs, but then we've built a bunch of components to be non-app embedded. So we've, you know, built an encapsulation around our uh, quite often C SDK, I think off the top of my head. So you can run it on Windows or you can run it on Mac or you run it on Kotlin or you can run it on, uh, actually Kotlin's iOS, Kotlin, you know, run it on iOS, run it on Android run it on Linux, run it on, you know, basically popular operating systems so that people don't need to do that work themselves. Similarly, you know, we then took that and we deployed it onto a virtual appliance and put it in the AWS marketplace and the Azure marketplace and the Google marketplace and the Oracle marketplace and, you know, Hyper-V to go on-premise so that, you know, if you can't start on that level, then you start on the easier level. Uh, we then thought it's zero trust, so you should be doing application micro-segmentation, limit the port, limit the IP, et cetera, but... If you want to do a whole CIDR range because you just need to get it working, fine, do a whole CIDR range. Like we've, yes, Northstar app embedded, it solves huge amounts of complexity. Your application can go anywhere and all you need is outbound commodity internet. It's literally it. You don't need to worry about the stuff that you normally bolt on when you go to production. But we've built a bunch of other ancillary support services so that you can start the journey. And you can just, you know, get started. In fact, so far we're talking about OpenZT. That behooves the question of, well, what is NetFoundry? NetFoundry is, was the creator and the largest contributor to OpenZT. But we basically have an open core model. So what we also built was the NetFoundry platform, which is effectively an automation orchestration engine for OpenZT. So why don't we pause there and like, why don't we first kind of give us the history? How long has OpenZT been around? And, you know, like kind of what's the state of that project? Like how many people are downloading it? How many people uh, are contributing into it? You know, kind of the health of the open source project. So the open source project came out of stealth in, I want to say, November 2019, I think, which actually is an interesting point in itself. When we first started our vision, we quite quickly realized that we were going to have to build something from the ground up and it was going to take a long time to get to like MVP. Therefore, we started building our team to do that. We called them the advanced development team inside our organization. And they literally just you know, locked away for two years building the, the initial MVP of OpenCT. So what we did in the interim is we took a third-party product, which we white-labeled, 
and we built the net foundry automation orchestration so we could start testing the idea getting feedback knowing that at some point we would transition to open city so yeah that end of 2019 we basically deprecated the old version and we went forward exclusively with open ZT. today it is a uh you know it's not like prometheus or kubernetes with you know tens of thousands of stars and likes uh but you know it's it's was ticking along for uh, for a while, and you know, we're starting to see the the hockey stick of of uptake uh, of people using it. Um, it's nice to to uh, like our discourse is getting you know way more people asking questions, how to build this, how to do that, how to configure these things. We have uh, you know a, a few public references where people have embedded OpenZT into their technology to you know enable it so. For example, hey, my customers don't have to worry about inbound ports. They don't have to worry about VLANs or complex firewall rules. It just just works. It just connects. And for us, that's the key thing. How can we just enable people to uh, solve problems? The it, you know, candidly, the biggest problem we have as an organization is we're doing something that's completely different to how everyone else has tried to do secured network. And I put it in inverted commas. I don't know if your viewers can see it, but I did because <laughs> There is no thing, such thing as secure networking. Networks are designed to share packets. Yep. That's why we're of the opinion you should ideally, again, North Star, isolate the applications as far away from the network as possible. If that's literally inside the app, wonderful. If that's inside the host, great. If that's inside your trusted network, better than nothing. Okay. That allows so, you to be more secure. Yeah, that makes sense. So let's dive in because I think this audience, you know, they're always interested in like, you know, giving it a try. So obviously you can go out to OpenZD right now on the web and, and try it out. But why don't you give us like an overview? Because I think there's four components, you know, roughly what the fabric, edge, SDKs, and some of the tunnels. So so some so let's let's kind of to your point about the North Star. Yeah. So I think this audience like we want to do it right. When we're starting a new app, like so when the North Star is like I want to enable this app yeah. to basically if you will secure itself and I have these components, kind of give me an overview. Like how do these components apply yeah. together? What do I have to do to, to get on the path to securing my application like this? So there's two foundational components to OpenZT, but then there's also a third that I'll touch on uh, a bit later. The two foundational components are the edge and the fabric. The edge is the tunnelers and the SDKs and the the edge routers, which is basically a router with a tunnel on it. But it's basically the zero trust entry point. It's where you have your embedded identity, you know, X509 certificates, and the the ZT piece of software, which acts as the, for want of a better word, proxy. It's the, the on-ramp to the overlay, where you're saying, hey, I'm inside the application, and therefore I'm going to, you know, I'm going to authenticate and authorize, and, you know, if it all aligns to policy, then I'm going to allow, you know, packets to flow. Or it's in the operating system, you know, doing a basically like a, a intercept on the uh, on the wire. You then have the fabric, which is the stuff. You know, the the edge goes at source and destination. It allows you to outbound connect into the fabric, so that the the edge is unaddressable and un, uh, unattackable from external network. The fabric sits on top of the public internet. And it's a SDN software defined network architecture. Great to you know the uh, the title of the show. Uh, so we've got separation of control plane and data plane. The edge does a 
encrypted connection to the control plane and says, hey, I'm this guy. Oh, yeah, I know you because we went through the process of bootstrapping trust and, you know, five-part blog gets super technical if you want to go into cryptography um, and says, you know, I'm this person, I'm trying to make a connection and goes, okay, yeah, well, I see you've got this policy. Therefore, I'm going to tell the other component that you're going to establish a connection. You know, they both outbound connect into at least one router. The router is the data plane. Um, Zeta has been designed as a mesh overlay. So you could have just, well, actually, technically you have no data plane and just do, you know, edge to edge, but then you would have to point uh Mm -hmm. open and exposed. So we recommend you have at least one uh, component in the data plane fabric because that allows you to outbound on both sides. But you can deploy many, many more and they're all going to interconnect and build a mesh network so that when source and destination try to connect, the ZT fabric does what's called smart routing to figure out what's the best path, which is the lowest latency. Um, if there is congestion, it avoids path. That's that's all done actively and dynamically. Okay. So Help. like on the so when I get started, so am I deploying the fabric? Am I like picking a server and like deploying this, like whether in the cloud or on premise? Like is that kind of the first thing I gotta do to to get kind of get this thing bootstrapped and get it get it working? So hold that question for one minute. The because you're alluding to the third point, which I didn't immediately talk about. So you have the edge in the fabric. Mm-hmm. Now you could just go to the the you know you could you know initial step. Hey, I wanna I wanna connect my laptop to a MySQL server in AWS. Great. Do you, you know you you deploy your initial ZT controller? Maybe you're working on CLI and you 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 deploy your your tunneler into your AWS VPC and you deploy your tunneler onto your your Mac or your Windows and you set the policy that says, hey, these two things can connect and you you share some JWTs and they get bootstrapped and all sets up. Um, and you you know, you'd create the policy and the data would be able to flow. Alternatively, you may go, I don't want to use a CLI. I want to use something that's a bit more automated. I want to use a GUI. Great. Now you've got third component, uh, the ZT Automation Console. It's called Zach, but I forget what the A stands for. Anyway, the Zach gives you a nice pretty GUI that allows you to, rather than working on a CLI, to be able to work more programmatically and make it simpler, etc. We then have the alternative option where instead of using the ZT Automation Orchestration, Instead, you can use the NetFoundry version. Okay, and this- so that's your hosted offering, basically. So you, I don't have to do all this administration. You'll you'll set Correct. it up for me. So okay. instead of having to deploy it, you know, locally or deploy it on Docker Compose or however you want to host it, instead you just sign into a NetFoundry console. You say, "I want a network," and it just it goes, you know, click, 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 click for five seconds. Here's everything for you. Oh, you okay. want to deploy your fabric into AWS? Click, you know, scroll down, click here, done. And we, you know, we basically abstract away all that complexity by providing that hosted version, but then also providing automation orchestration, monitoring, mm-hmm. dashboards, pre-built integrations, SLAs, et cetera, et cetera. Gotcha. gotcha. Going back to our original statement of wanting to make this just completely free and easy and, and cover the world a foot deep in, in ZT, we've gone down the path of freemium. So you effectively have four options. A, ZT, it's Apache 2, literally go deploy it yourself, you know, do what you want, uh, contribute to the code or not. 
We then have NetFoundry Freemium, where there's a free forever tier up to 10 endpoints so people can just get started, test it. Maybe even, you know, it's good enough for their use case. Uh, I do a side hustle project um, outside of this job. And I, I do at some point uh, when we move it into production, I'm going to put everything behind ZT using a free tier. Why not? <laughs> and then we've got a pay-as-you-go version. And then we've got the enterprise version where you get all the bells and whistles. You get people to talk to and, you know, things that enterprise want when you're, you know, supporting your critical workloads okay so i like that you got all the options basically if i want to do it all myself great and if i want to pay you and have you take care of it it's got the enterprise version so that's perfect so you know you mentioned the kind of the zach we'll call i'm call it zach you know your console there and you mentioned policies and i think that's always like an interesting place to start right like because you know really at the end of the day it's it's all of these many tools right they're about they let you create policies but it's 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 only as good as the policies that are created, if you will, right? If you make bad policies, it's just like you're no more secure. You did all this work. So so maybe describe, like, what is a policy in, you know, OpenZD here? Like, how do you create it? And kind of like, what are the components of it? Yeah, so the first thing to point out would be the default is there is no access. That is always our starting point. And it's the opposite of most things. Where it's like, oh, well, we'll allow everything and then lock things down. We're of the opinion that the only way to really make things secure is to ensure default nothing the general way to think of policy then is uh, let's introduce some concepts you have services which is uh, i want an rdp service i want a mysql service i want a, a matamost service i want a you know a, a web application service and you have endpoints so philip's endpoint uh, brandon's endpoint etc and then you have app wans and AppWans is where you say Philip and Brandon are going to get access to MySQL, but only Philip is going to get access to the web server because Brandon's not allowed. Now, within that construct, uh, ZT then uses um, ats and hashtags, very similar to social media. I can put at Brandon and just you get access. Or I could do hashtag software defined talk and both Philip and Brandon get access to the app one. So we've built it in a very programmatic way, which allows you to orchestrate at scale how people are getting access to things, which also then made it easier for us. Like, so for example, we've done a integration to Azure Active Directory uh, so that using that constructive AD tells us, well, all these hundred people are HR people. That's a hashtag function. Hashtag HR, boom, now they access to those applications which were defined for that policy. Okay, so it's similar to maybe people familiar with LDAP and things like that. You basically create a group. I can put people in a group, and then we all share those types of uh, access points. Is that a, a fair summary of that? Yes. I, I, I say yes. I, <laughs> I know the, the, the acronym LDAP. I have a, a, a Wikipedia uh, uh-huh. paragraph understanding of it. I have no functional experience of using it. So no, I, no, I agree. It's just, you yeah. know, just like active directory or a lightweight directory access protocol. Just, you know, just, it's just a, you know, it's very common just to basically create groups and things like that. So, okay. Yeah. So that makes sense. And, and that's open that, you know, you can have complexity behind it, but you could also yeah. keep it simple. So then let's, let's touch on, we don't have to go too much in the details because probably bore everyone, but I do think it's, it's worth just talking around. It's like the actual mechanism here that you're, you're actually doing the security, if you will, it's, it's certificates, right? I mean, that's sort of what the underlying thing is. It's no, there's no passwords. I assume there's no like, you know, you know, enter this kind of stuff. And I think, you know, one of the things I've, as I've talked to many other vendors that are maybe in adjacent spaces, for example, like, you know, granting access to developers for, you know, 
to uh, different machines and authentication, they're often talking about certificates too as a way to get rid of passwords, right? So, so I think kind of there's this movement, if you will, not that this is new technology, but it's like, okay, we're all going to use certificates for real this time. And so maybe just talk about like, what does that look like? So how does the app location, like if you will, get a certificate, like kind of what's the handshake protocol? And then of course, when you hear certificates, sometimes what scares people is like, they just like, suddenly they just expire and you know, your user's getting this like weird looking message (laughs) and they're scared and and no one can get one. I think that's why people get scared off about them, but like kind of give me an overview. How does all that work together? Yes. So uh, we are using X509 certificates. Um, you, you basically have the private key generated locally, and then that's tied with a public key. Um, within ZT in the control plane, you're having a certificate authority, although you can also introduce third-party certificate authorities. Maybe get more to that later. But the biggest thing that we've done, again, got a five-part blog that people can read on this, but we use JWTs, uh, Java Web Tokens, as a way mm-hmm. to abstract away huge amounts of complexity. So basically, if I want to say, hey, now I've set up that policy for Brandon to get access to MySQL. He's loaded the ZT tunnel onto his Windows or Mac or whatever. I can now, what I need to do is I need to send you a JWT. And that JWT is going to be what binds you into the overlay. Uh, so I can email that to you or I could hand it to you on a piece of paper or I could you know, send it on WhatsApp. You, know, you can figure out your own mechanism that is best for your organization. And effectively you're going to uh, save that JWT on your device. You're going to go to the the GUI and you're going to press a, a plus button. You're going to click the thing and it's it's just going to associate itself. Now, behind the scenes, there's a bunch of complexity going, you know, uh, taking place to for you to talk to the controller and present the identity and you're going to interrogate the controller to make sure it also has an identity. So you're having this like mutual um, uh, check-in that, each side is trusted because, you know, again, we don't use TLS. So it's, everything's mutual TLS in order to bring you onto the overlay. So we have, uh, we use that as a way to abstract away the complexity. Uh, we've then simultaneously built some other functions. For example, I, I alluded to earlier, third-party certificate authority. That's great in IoT scenarios. Uh, it allows you to um, to basically automate the setup of a device if it's got embedded identity, which is very important when you're going to scale of tens or hundreds of thousands or even millions of things. We've also, um, what the, because we have embedded identity, it gives us a very unique capability regardless of what the communication is client server 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 machine server we can handle them all quite we can even do voip most people yeah it's really difficult to do um but the point being we can have client initiated or we can have server initiated so you can literally throw zt at every use case okay that's good well i think that's really important because i'm starting to use that as my shorthand around when someone says zero trust kind of questions like well do you, do I have to use any type of passwords? What are like, what secrets do I have to manage? And like, I kind of use that as sort of people say, well, we have this kind of password or this is the secret you have. And it's like, and then I'm always a little skeptical, like maybe you're not zero trust, maybe you're like more trusted. And then, you know, you kind of get to the, what you're talking about. Um, yes. Cause I, and we won't go into all the details. So I'll put a post uh, link to the blog and let people read through it on uh, the details. But I think that's really important kind of saying, okay, there's this whole process yes. about hand shake of certificates and public and private keys. And when you've done that, 
And it, it is, I don't want to ever say it's simple, right? But like when you've sort of committed to like learning that and then using tools like uh, the ones you're talking about here today, then, you know, then you're really is your security's gone way, way up, right? You know, it's like there is no one knows the password. Nobody knows the private key or it's very hard to like go get the private key. And that's really when you're starting to see, you know, like now you're getting the real benefits of kind of the zero trust mindset. 100%. And then we've done a bunch of heavy lifting to make it simple as possible. And therefore, the default is I do not trust the network. I have to explicitly authenticate and authorize before any connectivity can take place. And because we've got the embedded identity and the fabric, everything can be outbound only so that the network level attacks cannot take place. And that's just the initial starting point. That's like the base layer. You can then add additional things on top of that, like, hey, actually, that identity has got to be a YubiKey. Or, hey, I want to do posture checks. I want to make sure the MAC address is correct. Or I want to make sure that you're running this minimum spec of operators. Or I want you to use Google Authenticator and tell me the code, you know, a bunch of other things that you can do on top of it for other continual authorization. Nice, nice. All right, well, let's, you know, kind of back to our North Star here as we kind of round out our conversation. So I'm a developer, okay, and I'm going to the North Star and I've sort of, I think we've got a good understanding of, you know, OpenZD and NetFoundry, but, you know, I, at, some, at some point I got to do something in my application. Like I got to actually do it. And it sounds like maybe give me a, the quick highlights of like what SDKs exist for, for which uh, languages, and then kind of what am I implementing when I'm using this SDK as a developer? Like, what am I actually going to do with it? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Off the top of my head, we've got a Java, we've got C, we've got Node, we've got Go, we've got um, C Sharp. Uh, I feel like there's at least one or two more, but I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, there's others in the pipeline that we'll get to, at, you know, as people request. And although a lot of the current ones can go into like, so like people are like, oh, do you have a Python SDK? We don't today, but we have many people who have mounted the C SDK inside Python and, and bound it. Um, there's always a way. There's always there's a way. Always a way exactly. <laughs> the what your effect? So you're taking our SDK or one of those SDKs, and you're putting it somewhere within your app, and that's that's going to depend upon how your application is built in terms of where is the best place to basically intercept the bits and the bytes. The way you're going to do that is you're going to bind the SDK to your application with somewhere between six to 20 lines of code, which effectively says, if you're going to move bits and bytes out, instead of sending it to port whatever to the host, instead you're going to send it to ZT, which means it's going to go to the SDK. And that SDK is, you know, authenticated and authorized to the, the controller. And it's therefore being able to send packets over the data plane according to um, what's been uh, defined. This, therefore, actually potentially simplifies for the developer because the developer doesn't even need to know, well, what, what port should it be on on the host? You just literally just jam the SDK in there and deploy it anywhere. And as I said, commodity outbound internet and it all works. The SDK has then some dependencies to other packages, as you know, all, all packaging up. Uh, so, for example, you might be using uh, embed TLS for for your encryption, or, or you might be using libuv for your secure I/O. But effectively, the the SDK is the focal point, which then has dependencies to to the other components. There's a, a bunch of samples in our GitHub repository that shows how this is done, how to do it effectively and quickly, etc. We then, though, have done some things which we call ZTifications. This is where we pre-built ZT into stuff. So 
we did a zettification of Spring Boot. So if you want to, you know, deploy it to a a Spring, you know, a Java-based application using Spring Boot, one line of code rather than having to do the stuff yourself. Uh, we've taken SSH, we've zettified it. Um, Kubes tool to access the Kubernetes API, we've zettified it. Uh, JDBC driver to access well, we've zettified it so that you know a a uh, a web application or a developer could access the database uh, in a clientless fashion. One that we're working on at the moment, we're just waiting to release the blog. So actually, by the time this goes live, it might be ready as a, a zettification of Prometheus. Uh, and we've also zettified Helm. So effectively, you you deploy one Helm, and then Helm is going to deploy Prometheus, kubectl, other Helms, and set up a dark, normally unaddressable Prometheus system, but which is addressable within the realms of ZT. Okay, I like it. So you've got a lot of options there, right? So if I'm building something brand new, I can obviously embed embed the SDKs. And it sounds like instead of doing all my normal networking stuff, I'd really want to kind of use your SDK, like, you know, do it this way. And hopefully that makes my life easier. And then you just outlined a bunch of popular infrastructure, right? Like in that case, maybe I just, you know, it's already done for me. I'll just go grab, what do you call it? Zetification? Zetified? Okay, all right. And we're always asking the question of like, what, like if we Zetify this thing over here, Will it solve a problem for you? Because if we can Zetify and people just use it standard, great, we'd love to do that because then it solves problems for people without giving them complexity. Yeah, no, I like it. Great, great. Okay, so we've, I think we've, we've really got a good handle here. So we understand OpenZD, we understand NetFoundry. Uh, maybe just give us a little bit more. I know you have the, the enterprise version and, and other things, but like, what, who are the people that are specifically coming to NetFoundry to, to really, you know, if you will buy your enterprise product, like what do they look like? Are they large enterprises? Are they banks? Are they everyone? Like who's the kind of customer that you, you want to call you? Yeah, it, it's a mixture. I mean, <laughs> so technically anyone can be a consumer of OpenZT uh, and NetFoundry because we're a secure IP pipe can apply to any use case. But right now we're focused on use cases where we can provide the most value rather than every use case. And I, I would I would broadly break that down into a few areas. A, it's anyone developing applications where they can just you know focus on their 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 functionality and, and make their life easy by using our open source or you know the proprietary automation orchestration. Uh, B, uh, DevOps people. You tends to be the operations people supporting the developers. Where you know our, our head of DevOps uses our technology, loves it. He created a blog of why every DevOps person should love OpenZT because. It allows DevOps people to move fast to wire systems together, but it also gives the CISO the the desire to make things secure. And now the DevOps people don't have to be opening endless tickets to change this and that and blah, 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 because they can programmatically control you know, via APIs. We then have uh, organizations, like if you're doing multi-cloud, everyone's like, oh my God, multi-cloud is so difficult. How do you connect this and that? It's like, Literally deploy this from the marketplace, that from the marketplace. Ten minutes, twenty minutes later, you've built a multi-cloud network. It just becomes you know all you need is commodity outbound internet. Every cloud has that, so it's incredibly easy to do. Um, that kind of alludes to anywhere that you have distribution. So we have a lot of customers in IoT, autonomous driving, uh, video cameras. You build one VPN, one firewall rule. It's <sighs> a pain, but it, it's ha- you you can handle it. You build a hundred, a thousand. 10,000, it's just not viable. And if yeah. you do it, it is really painful and you have lots of support staff and we just make it easy. Yeah. One of our customers just like does everything within their CICD pipeline. 
they literally got hundreds of customers all over the globe. They ship, they give them a, 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 an image. They say, load this into your local setup. They just just automatically connects to their backend cloud. So they don't have, you know, literally their support staff is two people so that they can just be way more efficient in terms of how they deliver it to their customers. That's fantastic. And I think, you know, I just want to touch on a little bit. I know um, on your website here, you've got kind of, you know, if you will, offerings or specific instructions for, it looks like all the major public clouds, right? AWS, Azure, um, Oracle, and I don't know, do you have GCP? I didn't see GCP up here. Is yeah, it, GCP, we're, yeah. we're, our friends at Google, they, they, I'm sure they, they're all about zero trust, right? So so I think if you, uh, I'll uh, include some links to that as well. So I think, you know, those are just some, because everyone's moving to the cloud and looking for specific examples. So I think, uh, I assume, uh, in your alliance positions, I'm sure you have good relationships with all those cloud vendors. Is that is that a fair assumption? Lovely to work with them all. <laughs> of course, absolutely. All right, well, uh, this has been great. I think uh, no one really has any excuse. So we, we know our North Star. We know, we know we're not going to get there overnight, but I think if, at least everyone listening to this, if you're building an application, you've got a very good solution all the way from pure open source to uh, call Philip and you know, he'll, he'll uh, hook you up with the enterprise version to like, you know, to, let's get to the North Star because it is. Once we do that, we're going to have a lot less problems with all these security incidents uh, we keep seeing. So having said all that, Philip, someone wants to contact you or they want to learn more about NetFoundry, OpenZD, where would you recommend that they go? The easiest place would be netfoundry.io slash STD. Uh, we've got a page which you know gives a little blurbage and some links to some of our collateral and the ability to you know sign up for more information if they're interested. All right. Well, great. Well, it's been fantastic. I think it's been a great interview. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Likewise. Thank you so much. All right. Well, for everyone else, if this is the first time you've uh, listened to Software Defined Talk, then welcome. I want to let you know you can subscribe to the podcast by going to softwaredefinedtalk.com. Uh, there you can you know, check out all of us, our social media links. You can uh, see all our previous episodes. And if you want a sticker, Software Defined Talk sticker, all you have to do is send your postal address to stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. And I will be happy to send you a sticker anywhere in the world. And with that, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time. I'll show you the uh, the official software defined talk mailroom is the here's the uh, the envelopes, <laughs> the stickers, and then I uh, I got I got my, I made my wife I'm like I'm tired of like doing the return address this is like the stamp you know the stamp your return address on uh, on it and I just like you know I just mail them out so it's super I mean it's like it's just a fun thing right.